As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. When I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Ladies and gentlemen, you are now entering the Second Big Comics Podcast. Starring Mark Clare and Renzo Martinez. Welcome back, Second Print Spooksters. It is I, your host and producer of today's extra spooky episode, because it is Spooktober. I am the merciless Mark Clare, and I'm here, as always, with my co-host, the rambling, ranting, raving Remzo W. Martinez. Remzo, what's happened? Feeling spooky? I, I am. Uh, I'm currently staying with some friends out in Pennsylvania, and yeah, I needed to get away from D.C. because of dc and uh my girlfriend and i are currently out in the in the middle of the mountains and what was beautiful is like we're out in this like quintessential small town and as we were with our uh friends going to dinner i said this in the most polite way possible but this you know i looked at them like i'm saying this with all the kindness in the world this reminds me of pet cemetery in all the best ways <laughs> i was gonna ask if you're uh like, since you said you're out in the woods i was gonna ask if you're on one of your uh, your spooky ghost hunting missions because uh i don't know if we've really plugged plugged that aspect of, of your life here on this podcast at all but it is Spooktober. This seems like it might be a good time. So why'd you go plug away? It's it, it's uh it's one of my favorite times of the years. And folks, you're you're getting a good opportunity right now because by the time this episode comes out, season two of my award-winning documentary series, The Witching Hour, will not only be completed, but every episode, I think every episode right now, if you if you're listening right now, you can go ahead and check it on our YouTube channel, Argos Paranormal. That's the name of our team. What we do is we're a team of um uh, computer science pros and former journalists and alike who have taken an interest in trying to debunk and understand and explore the realm of the paranormal and supernatural. So we've done a lot of crazy stuff. We've been locked up in old prisons, old hospitals, battlefields, old homes, uh, old churches. I mean, we've done the gambit and we've caught some amazing things, things that you won't even necessarily see on TV. So you can go ahead and catch reruns throughout the month of October on our various public access networks. You can find our website, argosparanormal.com or check out the witching hour seasons one and two i think that's a good eight, um 
12, 18 episodes, at least somewhere between that. Uh, we did a few specials over our YouTube channel, Argos Paranormal. So whether you're a diehard ghost believer or you just want something scary to keep you entertained while nothing new is really coming on uh, this month, uh, definitely check us out. I think you'll you'll be in for a good time. All right, so just just ballpark figure um, going into these all these uh, you know different haunted houses and haunted places that you've investigated. What would you say is your percentage roughly of okay? There's nothing going on here. This is debunked. To holy shit, there's actually something really really creepy going on here. Uh, I can go ahead and say this because I, I've said it enough times. The first episode of season two, which is in uh, a place called York, Pennsylvania, we we're at a location called the the Princess Street house it's a three yeah three-story townhouse the uh unfinished basement it looks like a meth lab explosion and if there was ever a place in my life i wanted to be haunted it looks like something straight out of like your nightmares like silent hill type of stuff so me um director and producer ryan martinez my brother and one of our other investigators and cameraman brian sujane and we stayed there for like uh, 14 hours and we did a lot of stuff to try and get things going and as much as we wanted to experience something absolutely horrifying uh we we came to an inconclusive um account i mean really nothing there happens that made us really think this place is haunted but that's part of the journey it's figuring out and i can certainly say for every location like that where it's like ah maybe other people have experienced stuff but nothing happened to us we always get into a location that completely makes us question the fabric of our world. So for every dud, there's an explosion in activity. All right. So uh, you say you're some kind of believer in the paranormal though. A hundred percent. A hundred percent. I mean, I, I, I believe, I believe that that stuff happens. Absolutely. Um, uh, but I don't believe that every place that says they've got something going on, I'll immediately do that. I mean, people forget this, but before, uh, you know, back in a prior life, I was a journalist. I had a very serious reputation to keep up. And when I started getting into this, I was a little bit worried. But, you know, through my work and through the way of which we conduct ourselves, uh, people have taken us seriously. And I mean, we've been in, uh, in newspapers and outlets all over the country, primarily around the East Coast. But I mean, from all the way from here to Washington State, California. And, um, you know, so far, we've been able to really establish ourselves as the people that you call when you want to seriously see whether or not something absolutely remarkable is occurring. And uh, I mean, that's just the exciting part about it. I, I, you know, I love those opportunities to go somewhere and explore and try and figure things out in a situation I would have never had prior. And whether something is there or not, sometimes, yeah, if nothing happens, we're a bit disappointed. But it's the pursuit of that knowledge, which is the greatest part about it. All right. All right. Well, it's a, it's a very uh, appropriately spooky topic to be discussing the topic of ghosts and spirits and that sort of thing, because uh, for the rest of this month, we're going to be doing a little spooktober. We're going to have a, some themed episodes here. We're going to be looking at sort of scary, spooky, horror related uh, characters and stories. And uh, I'm really excited for what you've uh, got coming next week. By the time this episode airs, our patrons should already have access to that episode. Uh, I'm just going to leave that leave that as a mystery for now. But I really enjoyed the story you introduced me to. Uh, but today it's my turn. It's my turn to produce an episode of the second print comics podcast uh, and today we're going to be looking at mike mignola's hellboy uh the first volume the first trade paperback collection seed of destruction which uh introduced the character to the world before we get rolling on this remzo how familiar with were you with Rem, uh, with uh with remzo with remzo boy with uh with hellboy going into this uh obviously you're familiar with the character from movies and that 
sort of thing, but how much, if at all, had you read the comics before? I did not read, uh, and, and this is kind of funny, I did not read the comics until probably two years ago when they were coming out with the remake of Hellboy, which ironically, I did not watch. I have not seen that film. I, want, I have not seen that one I, I just... Something about it, I didn't want to see it because I'm so attached to the first two Hellboys that came out in the early 2000s, especially the Golden Army. I would go as far as say the Hellboy 2 and the Golden Army is probably one of the best comic book based films ever, at least in the top 10. Not top five, you know, not that close, but at least in the top 10 in terms of comic to film adaptations. Yeah, they are they are pretty good in terms of adapting the comics. I'd say as far as far as that goes, especially eh, the story's decent in, in both those films. But I think just especially artistically and visually, uh, what Guillermo del Toro did uh, with the first movie just blew me away. I was like, okay, this is what Hellboy should look and feel like. Yeah, I mean, usually I, I go into comic book films that I do like, and I usually come out with problems. Uh, I had no problems with those movies. I really can't think of anything I would change. I, I mean, I feel like they're a little bit too slapsticky sometimes, but you know, that's also a Guillermo del Toro type of thing. So I kind of expect that, but I mean, those are just good. They're, they're campy films. They combine a good amount of comedy, horror, and just a hell of a lot of action. And that's, that's what I want from Hellboy. So I'm not saying I didn't watch the new remake because of reviews and stuff, even though almost all the reviews, even for big Hellboy fans, they were disappointed with it. I just genuinely never got around to it, and it's just never been something that I've actively wanted to watch. So maybe I'll watch it one day, but those first two films are, are what brought it into me. And, uh, you yeah, know, I was actually, yeah. um, I was actually looking to watch the remake last night just to kind of get myself prepped for this a little bit just since I hadn't seen it yet. And I couldn't find it on any of, any of the services that I have without having to rent it. And I said, nah, I'm not going to spend money. I, okay, you know what? I think I take it back. The only reason why I didn't really want to watch the remake was because I didn't want to pay for it. <laughs> yeah, I think that's I'm, really I'm totally it. happy to watch it once I don't have to spend money. Yeah. Count me in then. Uh, but anyway, we will dive into Hellboy here. Hellboy is a creation of a gentleman by the name of Mike Mignola. He kind of dabbled around between Marvel and DC. Yeah, he was an inker. He did a little uh, art. Uh, but Hellboy is really what he what became his the own creation. It's really what he's best known for at this point uh, was creating Hellboy. And this first volume, uh, it's created and written by Mike Mignola and the artist by Mike Mignola. But the script is actually by a guy named John Byrne, of course, a longtime Marvel and DC writer. So uh, I don't think Mike Mignola had actually written a comic before this. So my guess is he just said, I'm going to partner with John Byrne here, uh, make sure he's you know overseeing my script and making sure I'm, I'm keeping myself focused here because this is my my baby and I want to start things off because after this, everything uh, was just Mike Mignola from here on out. But this first volume is, I guess, uh, scripted. It says written by Mike Mignola, scripted by by uh, John Byrne. So I guess he maybe just wrote the dialogue or, or that sort of thing or helped with the overall script. Uh, but either way, the writing was a team project. So uh, it's, a, it's a pretty good team, go, though, um, starting off here because John Byrne, I mean, if you're going to bring someone in to make sure you're guiding your story right and make sure, you know, you're hitting your points and what have you, uh, John Byrne's the guy. I mean, this guy has so much experience, Fantastic Four, uncanny. Kenny X-Men. He's so great with uh, characters interacting. Uh, he also did a relaunch of Superman, I believe, in the like, mid-90s Man of Steel. with DC. Yeah, Man yeah. of Steel. So uh, not a bad choice I think Mike Mignola made there by bringing on the co-writer, so to speak. Yeah, I mean, just two fun facts kind of ju- jump in there before we start covering this story. One, um, he wrote probably the most famous Elseworlds story of all times for DC, and I'm pretty sure he also drew it as well. 
Batman Gotham by Gaslight, which saw a steampunk Victorian era Batman fight Jack the Ripper. And what was great about that was that he was using so many dark colors. What he found would be easier if he it was if he just got black paper and just applied other colors to the darkness. So if you ever look at it and you're like, wow, this is darker even by like today's technological standards. He wrote it on black paper and added color to it. So that was crazy. That and uh, really everyone's favorite version of Mr. Freeze is typically the one from the Batman, the animated series. Mike McNola actually contributed the concept art for that Mr. Freeze, which is why if you look at uh, some of the other characters from the Hellboy universe, Lobster Johnson, uh, Abe Sapien, they kind of look like. Mr. Freeze and people pointed that out over the years. Well, you could thank Mike McNola for that. Yeah, I can see that. You're speaking there about Jack the Ripper. I've never read that Gotham by Gaslight story. I'm definitely going to check that out. But it I, is so good. We just this week uh, here in the Claire household watched um, From Hell, uh, which is an adaptation of a story by Alan Moore, uh, just basically about you know the, one of the theories about who could have been Jack the Ripper. And uh, I thought that, did, that was another really good comic adaptation. And uh, we will be looking at a story from Alan Moore later this month. I'm not going to spoil what it is. It is not from hell. I will say that. <laughs> but um, yeah, we've gone on some tangents now. But um, getting back into Hellboy. Let's jump into it. From, from, Hellboy, from Hellboy to Alan Moore in, in five, five steps or less. Bam! Uh, but yeah, we'll dive into issue number one, Hellboy number one here. Uh, like I said, art and writing by Mike Nagnola, script by John Byrne. Uh, this is actually published by Dark Horse Comics, actually. We're, let's take another tangent before we dive in. Uh, what, what can you tell us about Dark Horse Comics? I mean, they're not my favorite, but like I remember uh, I, I would pick up copies of Star Wars Legacies from the Spinner Rack. I can't necessarily say that Dark Horse has printed a lot of my favorite stuff, but they're there. Yeah, they used to do a lot of the like a lot of the licensed comics that like IDW is more known for that now. But they used to have all these comics by like uh, Alien, um, Buffy the Vampire Slayer, Conan, stuff like that. Star Wars, like you mentioned. And um, they also did. uh, Let's see. The Mask was out of Dark Horse Comics. Uh, Let's see. What else? I used to read a bunch of random Dark Horse comics. I was actually probably because when I first got into comics, Image didn't exist yet. And the only time I ever dipped out was when I would see a random weird Dark Horse comics on the shelf and just grab them because it was always it was just the only well, from what I knew, my limited knowledge at the time, independent, non-Marvel DC uh, company. So there's always like a sort of intrigue with a, a Dark Horse book. Did, did and, they uh, do? Yeah, did they do the Losers? I'm not sure. I don't know. I, I mean, they're not. I, I'm not gonna say they're bad comics because I I don't have, generally have anything against them. They're just not comics that I ever really read. So I'm not, I, I'm saying that like in in, a, in the kindest way possible. I just really don't have an opinion. Yeah, I would say probably the best known work from Dark Horse Comics in the mainstream. It arguably could be Hellboy, uh, but the other best known uh, book from Dark Horse Comics is Frank Miller's Sin City, which of course there were. Oh, that was Dark Horse. I I always thought that was DC or somebody, but yeah, that that makes sense. That makes sense. Was 300 Dark Horse? I I believe. I think that might have been too. Yeah, 300 was also Dark Horse. Oh, wow. Okay. I like more Dark Horse stuff than I realized. Yeah, so a lot of big movie properties have come out of Dark Horse. Uh, the Mask was also a Dark Horse book, and then yes. the Mask book is much darker than than the the Jim Carrey film. Uh, it's a lot more about oh the gosh, violence yeah. than it is uh, the the slapstick comedy, if you will. Ain't no Cameron Diaz in that. Yeah, The Mask does hold up though as a movie. I watched I rewatched that fairly recently, and I it, it absolutely holds up. 
though. Highly recommend that. See, now we did five more steps from Alan Moore all the way over to Jim Carrey. Well, you want to close the circle. I was I was on a, the premiere episode of The World According to Ben Stein last night. And ah, I mean, yeah. talking to him of all people, I, I knew he was in that's the mask. Funny. But before the show, I wanted to go back and see his clips. And like, my gosh, that that's a good that's an objectively good movie. I hope they never do a remake. Yeah, please don't. Please don't. You know they will. Getting into Hellboy. Hellboy number one. Uh, our story starts off. Uh, we're reading the journal of a gentleman by the name of Sergeant George Whitman. Whitman. This is a journal from like, uh, you know, World War II era or so. And uh, he's re- uh, recapping that Hitler has sent a team uh, to England to work on something super spooky. Super spooky and super creepy. So it's this uh, really creepball team of Nazi scientists and, and various other spooks. Um there's uh, these U.S. Rangers and a hero called the Torch of Liberty. He's kind of like, you know, a Captain America-esque hero that we see that is there as part of this team that's going to uncover what, you know, whatever these uh, Nazi creepy scientists are up to. And we learn that they're in the, the final stages of something called Project Ragnarok. Uh, this team is led by three uh, British agents here that, they're, that are meeting up with the Americans. Uh, Professor Malcolm Frost, Trevor Brutenholm, known as Broom. He's this, uh, they describe him as like a paranormal whiz kid and lady, a uh, lady known Lady Cynthia Eden-Jones, who is a medium. And uh, she is sensing here, they're, they're kind of like arriving at this one place, but she senses that there's a, another center of power somewhere further north. So we cut over to Stonehenge. Uh, now we're up at Stonehenge where we come upon a satanic ritual of some sort. Uh, there's a bunch of Nazis there. The one, uh, there's a guy named Von Krump, who's the one in charge. He's got like that, this weird, like um, this weird eye, this monocle that has like the Nazi symbol on it. He's kind of cool looking for a Nazi. And uh, they do this whole, there's this big guy and this wizard with like a, you know, a Nazi symbol. He's kind of got like a satanic, uh, you know, a hexagon plus the Nazi symbol inside. We don't know what his deal is, but he's wearing all these like electrical wires and he's holding this staff and he's, uh, you know, doing this whole spell. And then suddenly lightning strikes and this little tiny demon boy appears um, and he's got this big stone hand and he appears not there, not at the site at Stonehenge, but he appears at the other site where the the U.S. and and British agents are. So that is uh, essentially how we learn of the origin of Hellboy. Uh, He just basically appeared as a result of this seemingly possibly unrelated but obviously related weird satanic Nazi ritual going on at Stonehenge uh, at the exact same time. And uh, we learn um, that he was taken into custody by Broom, by uh, Trevor Brutenholm, and ba- pretty much raised as his son, essentially, I guess you could say. And uh, kind of was trained to be um, an, a special agent as well. So he kind of got into the whole special agent thing, and he's a part of the uh, what Bureau, Bureau of Paranormal Defense, something like that? BPRD, the par- uh, Bureau BPRD. of Paranormal Research and Defense. There you go. That's what it is. Try saying that that, a million times fast. That will end up Bureau of Paranormal Research and Defense. Bureau of Paranormal Research and Defense. Bureau of Paranormal Research and Defense. Resource. There you go. Three times. You got it. Third time. No, I said I, I messed it up on the third time. It's the third time where it gets hard. Um, so now we're back in the present, which is like the 90s now when this came out. Uh, and uh, Broom is alive. He is like, he's sort of taken over the narration and he's barely hanging on and he is visited by Hellboy, who is now a grown up, uh, grown up big hell creature with, he basically looks like a devil with like his horns maybe broken off and a devil tail and this big stone hand. And uh, now we learn through through Broom uh, about this expedition of the um these gentlemen called the Cavendish boys. They're sort of a descendants of this Cavendish family who is this big expedition, this big rich family that we'll learn about a little later on that has basically just gone on all these expeditions over the years and years and years along. Uh, they're on the expedition with this guy, Sven Olafsson. This is kind of a, a flashback now uh, that Broom is having. And um, 
basically they get to this big place. We don't know where it is exactly. We learn later it's up in the Arctic and they get they find this big temple up in the mountains and they come upon this guy who is just in like basically in stone. And um, so we don't know what's going on there, <laughs> but uh, we're just basically getting like little seeds, little seeds of Hellboy's past and little sort of little pieces of a story that's going to come together as we go along here. Um, so he's um, he's recanting this to Hellboy and he said like he can barely remember like 10 months of his life spent up in the mountains. He's the only one that survived. No one else came back with him. And uh, he's talking to Hellboy. And suddenly there's a bunch of frogs in the room. There's just frogs everywhere. Broom is freaking out. He stands up. This guy's in a wheelchair, but he stands up and basically just jumps out a window and kills himself. So Hellboy and Hellboy's like, you know, freaking out because this is his dad, basically the guy he's, he's raised him as a son. And um, Hellboy at the same time gets attacked by this giant frog creature. So Hellboy's battling around with this giant frog creature uh, and this creature bites his hand and burns his hand, his non-stone hand. Uh, so, and Hellboy is clearly like actually really affected by that. Uh, it doesn't seem to be fun. He's got this like, I don't know, some kind of ascetic uh, nature to his, to his uh, frog saliva. Um, and then the frog wraps the tongue around the stone hand and Hellboy just kind of flips him away and destroys this like Egyptian tomb. Cause uh, you know, Broom's house is all full of these sort of, uh, you know, different artifacts and that sort of thing. It's kind of like a, like an it's, Indiana It's like Jones a living museum type. type of thing. Type yeah, of deal. pretty much. Yeah, yeah exactly. Uh, anyway, eventually Hellboy shoots and kills this frog creature, which just falls to the floor and turns into like a slimy skeleton, which which then looks like a human. So it looks like a human skeleton once he shoots and kills it. Um, <clears throat> Hellboy then goes and makes the call, a call to the head office again at the Bureau <clears throat> Bureau for Paranormal Research and Defense. Bureau for Paranormal Research and Defense. You could Bureau just say BPRD. BPRD for now on, <laughs> for the rest of podcast time. And uh, let's see. Do-do-do-do. Oh yeah, so we go. We cut to this uh, house, and this old woman, uh, Emma, who, Emma Cavendish, I believe, is uh, talking to someone on the phone, or t- not on the phone, talking to someone in the background, um, in kind of in the shadows. And he says, uh, "She says he is dead. Are we proceeding? Will you keep your promise?" And off camera, this voice says to her, "Yes, Emma. Soon, very soon, as we see a frog emerge from her cup." Uh, so that was the first issue of Hellboy. What did you think just just off the start of being introduced to this character kind of out of the blue and with, with everything is kind of going on? Uh, three things real fast. Um, one, it's really hard to come up with an original origin story. And typically there had been uh, satanic, demonic type heroes before. Son of Satan, Satana, um, that type of thing. Lucifer would come out, I think, a few years after this. But none looks actually as monstrous as Hellboy. So, I mean, I really love the fact that they're taking the monster motif and they're trying to show that he can be a hero, too. Uh, I think it's kind of like the the evolution of the thing in fantastic four, a thing type character. It's like, yeah, he's freaky. He's a monster, but he's also a hero. He's got a heart of gold. And I think that this origin um, is really fresh compared to a lot of what we've seen in in comics, especially in the nineties, there was not a lot of originality in the origin stories. And secondly, um, I I like, I like Mignola's, um, you know, style i mean it's not self-serious at all it's very cartoony a lot of people back then worry about being anatomically correct and stuff but this just looks like a a horror cartoon on page and that's the beautiful thing about it that and um you know it's it's willing to be kind of slapsticky in some ways i mean those frogs are kind of ridiculous but when you see it on paper damn is it scary so yeah i think that's maybe why some parts of the movie come across more slapsticky because the 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 layout of some of the fights does 
does kind of sort of they like they translate strangely, and I think that's some, one of the reasons why some comic book movies fail or they really succeed because they either know how to adapt it for the screen or they adapt it too much in a way which doesn't make much sense. Like the Spirit came out in two thousand six, and it was another Frank Miller film, and it is not. You know, I, I will say it's very true to the comic. I won't say it's a good movie. Yeah, it did not do much for no. me at all. It had Samuel L. Jackson. It had uh, um, I mean, Scarlett Johansson. Like, cool, but it just didn't work as a movie. They me. should have changed things. And you'll never really hear me say that. They should have changed more things for that. You know, sometimes there's a reason movies change things. A lot of times they're stupid reasons and a lot of times they're for bad reasons. But there are certain times that, you know, you certainly have to change something to adapt to. Liberties can be made. Like I've seen they've made animated Hellboy movies, which are good. But, you know, there's just something unique about the actual live action films that I think will stand the test of time. Yeah, for sure. Uh, Did you have more points? No, that was all. Got got all three. Bam, bam, bam. I lost count. I'm not here for math, you know? I was told there would be no math. Uh, we read on, comics, we don't read books. Exactly. There's a lot of supplementary material, speaking of books, uh, where they just, uh, you know, have in the at least in the, in the back of these issues, uh, where they kind of go into some of these characters, like some of the, like, uh, Von Krupp and the team of Nazis, and uh, they don't necessarily seem uh, relevant necessarily to this exact story, but everybody becomes relevant eventually. So it is nice that they put in, you know, some kind of backstory here, but even in this thing that they're listing here, um, the guy who is, he is the, the, you know, the one who brings Hellboy to earth. They show all these different scientists. Then they all have names of them and ages. Um, Leah, Leopold Kurtz, Ilsa Hoppestein, professor, Dr. Carl Ruprecht Cronin. Do you like it when writers put that type of stuff in the comic? You know, I, I, it, I'm torn because I let conceptually. I do. Like I, I like the I like the idea of like oh we have all this other information like I like they put I like the idea that they put this effort into the backstory that you can really dig into if you want, but when I when it comes to it I find myself a lot of times going ah, I don't feel like reading right now I'm, re- I'm in the middle of a com- I'm in comic book mode know. you know and I feel like oh now I have to switch to reading reading mode and I don't always really feel like it but then I, I kind of feel like I'm I'm cheating if I don't like read what's here what if there's something really important you know what I mean it's a chore sometimes it's good yeah. sometimes I uh, I'm not really into it. I mean, someone made a joke uh, the other day that you posted about, uh, you know, they think Jonathan Hickman only writes comics so he can write you know, <laughs> charts and graphs and, and maps. <laughs> and I think it's true because I get to those things. I'm like, oh, I like the idea that he really laid all this stuff out for it. But then I just find myself reading all this crap and it's not actually adding to the story for me at all. And it's, it's, it's really like, oh, this is just something he likes to do. He likes to make blueprints of houses and, and say where people's rooms are. And he, he has fun with that. But does it really add to my enjoyment of the reading? No, it actually breaks it up, especially when you're reading in like a format like this and trade paperback. I kind of just want to keep reading it like a comic, you know, keep flipping through. But then I get to this thing and I'm like, oh, I guess I should. I, I don't want to skip it. I feel like I'm cheating if I skip it. What if there's something important? I, I feel more like just, you know, just show, just show, don't tell. Yeah. And they also have right after that a uh, like a uh, little story about an African myth of the frog. And same thing. I'm like, well, I feel like I have to read about the frog. Uh, short of it is the frog basically screws over mankind because he's afraid that mankind is going to ruin the world. If, uh, you know, the world, ruin the world of the frogs. So that's a very short summation of an already very short story that's also <laughs> added in here about frogs. But it ties in because the reptile frog theme is, uh, is throughout this thing. But yeah, we'll move on to uh, part two here. Hellboy number two. Uh, we uh, are now at Cavendish Hall, the home of the Cavendishes. Of course, three of those Cavendish boys uh, were killed or did not survive, did not come back from that mission uh, where Trevor Brutenholm found the stone hints, the, the man in stone, and we don't even really know what went on there yet. But we know it messed him up. We know it you know, made him crazy over the last 10 months, and we know that the frogs appearing made him commit suicide and kill himself. 
Um, so there's, you know, people believe that the Cavendish Hall is cursed, that the land there is cursed. They say that Native Americans even have avoided this land, not just the house itself, but the land overall. Native American civilizations avoided it for thousands and thousands of years uh, because they believe the land to be cursed in some time. Um, and, and now uh, Hellboy has fully taken over the narration role, which he pretty much has for, throughout the rest of the series. Uh, but in the, in the first issue, it was interesting because it was first narrated by this Whitman guy who didn't even seem to be important in the first place. And then it becomes uh, Trevor Brudenholm's narration, but then he's dead. So now Hellboy has just basically inherited the mantle of, of narrator from the last two dead guys who were sort of helping us learn the story up to that point. Um, but now it is pretty much all from Hellboy's uh, perspective and, and point of view. Uh, and they are going to question Emma Cavendish. She is the old lady, the uh, the matriarch of the Cavendish family. And uh, he is there along with his uh, associates, Elizabeth Sherman and Abe Sapien. Uh, we don't know much about Elizabeth yet. She just seems like an agent right now. Uh, Dr. Abe Sapien, actually, in this in this scene here, when they show him kind of in his sort of disguise with his hat on, they just show his eyes. And like you said, he does look exactly like Mr. Freeze right here. So I'm yeah. telling you. Yeah, uh, yeah. yeah. I didn't notice it till now, but now that you say it, there's Abe Sapien and there's a bunch of other characters later in this series that, that all look like Mr. Mignola Freeze. likes Pretty narrow. Much all the Nazis. He, like he likes Freeze. narrow heads and goggles a lot. Yeah. Even on uh, even Hellboy's sort of um, his sort of like broken off horns there are, are kind of look similar to those. sort of. He likes circles. Too. Let's say that. He, he likes, likes circles. circles. <laughs> Big circle. Like yeah. Um, anyway, they they asked them about um, nine. Apparently, nine generations of the Cavendish family have made expeditions to the top of the world. Um, when I read "Top of the World," I, I was at first thinking it was like uh, you know the Himalayas or, or what have you. Um, but I guess "Top of the World" in this case is actually the Arctic. So there's that. Wouldn't that be the bottom with the North you know, Pole? It depends on what kind of earther you are. Uh. <laughs> Flat, round, upside down, inside out. I don't want to comment on this, and it's a too controversial. Commercial of an area for this podcast. <laughs> Whatever you people believe about the Earth, I don't care. Just read comic books, where Earth is the most important. Does it bother you? This is another tangent, but you know it's kind of what we do. Does it bother you ever? Like I, I don't know why. I, I hate when when comic books talk about like the multiverse and this sort of thing, and it's always about Earth. Like okay, Earth fifty two, Earth two, Earth one. And then even in the um, in Marvel Universe, it was like uh, during the uh, Secret Wars when there are all the incursions. They're all it's all the Earths colliding. All the Earths are colliding. That's affecting all the world. Everything's about Earth, Earth, Earth. Meanwhile, in all these universes, there's like billions of planets and thousands upon thousands of known intelligent civilizations. Why does everything center around freaking Earth? I mean, I guess because we're humans and we're writing about Earth in real life and we live on Earth, so that's why we write stories that where Earth is the center. But it always bothers me in comic books where they talk about these multiversal huge things, but it all centers around this one freaking planet with humans that don't even have powers normally i get where you're coming from i think you kind of answered your own question but, I get over it. but you know like there, there was uh I, I won't spend too much time on this there was an issue uh lilith mother of demons it was a one shot that tied into the recent ghost rider series and in that you're basically seeing like the origins of hell and what they essentially claim and apparently this is now canon but mephisto uh, who's always been a bad guy, but has always kind of like, you know, like he, like in one series, he's Thanos' bitch, and in others, he's like a serious bad dude. Um, they, they basically verified that Mephisto is the biblical devil, which, if that's the case, then does that make him the father of son of Satan? Does that make him the devil that we've seen in other Marvel continuities as well? And is he drastically overpowered or underpowered? If you think too much about it, you just find more and more answers you don't want. 
It's one of those situations yeah, so where it's like you could have left that one ambiguous for the reader to decide instead of giving us an answer that's going to cause so many other confusing situations. Yeah, we're not going to find the logic, so it's just a fruitless effort to look for it, I suppose. Yeah. All right, well, moving on to the adventures of Hellboy here. Um, let's see, where were we? I got all, all, all right, lost. Right this, at uh, the beginning of two. In this, in this series of uh, series of tangents, starting with <laughs> Mr. Freeze. Yeah, so they 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 always go to the top of the world. Right. Yes, they're always going to the top of the world, which is the Arctic, apparently. Um, but now she says, now, now, I'll, she damn says, it, now, now it bugs sons, me. <laughs> now all my say, yeah, why is it the top of the world? Now all my sons are dead, and and the legacy ends. So uh, you know, the gang goes to bed, uh, and uh, yeah, I guess there's, I guess that when your paranormal investigators show up at someone's house, they're just invited to stay for the night. I guess I don't know how that works, but I mean, obviously that's part of the plan because they're here to investigate. But um, yeah, I don't know if I was being investigated. Well, we'll see. We'll see what's going to happen with the story. I have awkwardly stayed at a lot of people's houses. So I look at this and I'm like, that's not (laughs) that looks kind of ridiculous, but it's actually not that outside of the norm in reality. Well, uh, someone is, again, talking to Emma from the shadows. It's that Satan is the unnamed satanic guy uh, from the original ritual that we saw in the beginning of this series. And he is promising that he's going to, well, he says he's going to reunite Emma with her two sons. That That's the promise that he is for her two dead sons. That's the promise that uh, was made to her. Uh, we also now, uh, through Hellboy's narration, we learn that Liz actually has ty- pyrotechnic b- abilities. Uh, she was found as a child, uh, and then they, they discover these these uh, powers that she had, these sort of uh, you know pyrotechnic fire powers that she has. They probed her, they prodded her, they helped her learn to control the powers, and you know that's our very brief origin of Liz. It's actually a theme with all of these all of these sort of supernatural paranormal characters here: Hellboy, uh, Abe Sapien, Liz. They are all sort of found or appeared out of nowhere, or you know have somewhat unknown origins. So that's uh, that's what these characters all all kind of have in common here. Um, Hellboy and Abe, uh, Hellboy's like talking to Abe Sapien on the phone and we kind of see more of his full version here that he is like sort of a, a reptile type creature. And, um, let's see, he, and they, they talk, they said, did that butler look familiar? And they realized like, yeah, he kind of looks like that Sven Olafsson guy. Like one of the guys that was on that mission with Broom. And like, okay, I thought I was the only one. I'm glad, I'm glad, but you know, we both noticed and they're kind of thinking like, well, do they think we're not going to notice that this butler is like someone who's supposed to be dead? And, uh, so Abe is going to go jump in the lake to, uh, investigate because for some reason they decide that's, that's the thing to do. And he's a, he's an amphibian. So it makes sense. Uh, we also learn Abe Sapien's origin story again here. He is found. He was basically he was just found in a chamber, uh, like underground in this like water con- water contraption or what have you. And there was the date. The date on there uh, was the day that Abraham Lincoln died. So that's why they gave him the name Abe, and it said Sapien something something Sapien on this tag. So that's where he got the name Abe Sapien. All of their names are pretty simple, you know. Abe Sapien just related to his origin, and you know they found him on the same with the same uh, date as Abe Lincoln's death. Uh, Hellboy. We think you came from hell. You look like a devil. Okay, you're Hellboy. You know, they don't overthink this stuff too much. Liz Sherman. Uh, I don't know. I guess you were adopted by people named Sherman and they called you Liz. That's her origin. I could, I could take it. <laughs> um, yeah, so Hellboy calls Liz on the phone um, and Liz is, is like, yeah, I recognize that Sven guy too. This is really freaking weird. Uh, and at the same time, a bunch of frogs appear once again, uh, just like they did uh, in the last issue in, in Hellboy's room. So he's freaking out. Uh, he runs down to Liz's room, finds that she's missing, and then Hellboy sees this butler, this Sven Olafsson butler, uh, and goes after him, at which point this butler guy turns into one of these giant frog creatures again. Uh, so another battle ensues here. Hellboy uh, eventually takes out uh, the Sven, the Sven Olafsson frogman. Um, meanwhile, we see 
uh, Abe Sapien emerge uh, in, from this like creepy underground chamber uh, under the house. <clears throat> so there is something amiss going on underneath this house for certain. Uh, let's see, I think, and then at the end here, yeah, Emma is dead, uh, just just like Broom. We find that Emma has died. She has all these like spots on her face, just like we saw uh, when they found Bruton Holmes' body after he jumped out the window. And uh, that from emerges from the shadows, this, again, this unnamed satanic uh, Nazi wizard guy uh, that brought Hellboy to Earth, He um, we, we see him fully shown there. If, if, we, if we hadn't figured out who he was by now, it's, it's very, very clear. I will say this. The way that Magnolia draws dead people is like the most distinct way ever. Like when somebody's dead, you know they're dead. Yeah, for sure. Uh, yeah, so he, he uh, this wizard guy, satanic wizard guy emerges and uh, reveals himself to Hellboy. And, uh, you know, it's, you know, um, basically says like surrender to me and join me and uh, this giant squid he summons a sort of like giant squid, squid creature who comes out and uh, attacks Hellboy and this satanic wizard guy says that he knows Hellboy's origin he knows where the source of his power he can tell him everything and he wants him to join him by his side or else he will die and that's where we leave off with issue two so uh, what are we thinking so far how are you feeling about the adventures of Hellboy here at the end of the second issue I, I like the the dual story telling how they're able to go back and show each of the characters origins while at the same time uh, keeping it in the in the present at the same time. What I also think is really unique that not a lot of authors do is switching the monologues. Um, so like in the first one where it was Hellboy's adopted father and now it's Hellboy in this issue, that's something you see quite often. And personally, and this might be jumping ahead, but Abe Sapien's actually always been my favorite. Uh, in yeah, a I've always loved Abe Sapien. Too. Yeah, I feel like he he's had his own series and stuff in the past, but um, like his inner monologues, I think are good. A Hellboy, you know, his his is interesting and he's the focus of the story, but I think it adds different depth to it when you're also able to really understand the inner monologues of the other characters, especially when they take lead for the narration of the story. And it makes sense that their narration would sound so. When everyone is on the same page, getting things done is easy. Make a bigger impact at work with Grammarly. Grammarly is your secure AI writing partner that enables your team to make their point and move faster. You can even save time by going from spending hours editing drafts to just seconds. Join the 96% of Grammarly users that say it helps them craft more impactful writing. Sign up and download Grammarly for free at Grammarly.com slash podcast. That's Grammarly.com slash podcast. Easier said. Done. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. 
every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Different because they're, like, these characters are sort of from different eras. Like, the, the people that we're hearing from in the beginning of the story are, are totally different. You know, they're from eras bygone, essentially, by this point. And then Abe Sapien, we know that he was born, or we don't know when he was born or created, but, you know, they found him with his date of 1865. So he's from an even more bygone era. So it makes sense that these characters have very, very distinct sounds to their their narrations and their monologues and that sort of thing. So I think that John Byrne, this is probably an area that John Byrne, I think, probably helped a lot in the beginning here with Mike Mignola, like really getting a feel for, you know, the characters speaking in different ways and scripting the story in a way that kept the story moving, but had a unique feel to the different voices of the characters. Agreed. All right, moving on to Hellboy number three. Uh, Hellboy is now falling, falling for what seems to him like forever while this uh, satanic wizard guy is just ranting and ranting and waving. Uh, he's going on about some serpent god who used to be worshipped here. And uh, then this uh, wizard guy says, I just call him, I call him satanic wizard guy. I don't know what else to call him. Bam, they never satanic wizard guy. Satanic wizard guy. Satanic wizard guy. I'll work on the full theme song there you in the next couple weeks. But, you know, I can only do so much on the fly here. Uh, yeah, he rants and rants about how he wants to free the beast, um, and then Hellboy just shoots him in the head uh, during the middle of this rant, which is pretty funny. Uh, but he doesn't even fall down. Hellboy's freaking out. He's like, why aren't you even falling over? Like, well, I just shot you in the head. Uh, so yeah, that didn't really do much to him. Um, we also learn uh, through the narration that uh, Hellboy kind of gets knocked down when the wizard guy comes back and he realizes he didn't really get messed up by that gunshot too much. And uh, we learn that Hellboy says, like, oh, I keep, he keeps 40 years of tallymen in his coat. So I guess he's collected. And it, it helps because it helps you get a, a sense of, like, we're just coming into this story now, but there's 30 years of Hellboy's history uh, of being a paranormal researcher, being on adventures. He's collected all these tallymans that he keeps in his, his big trench coat. So there actually is, like, a reason for the trench coat other than Hellboy just not being naked, which would probably be weird anyway. Uh, but there's a reason. I, I kind of like it because it's kind of like it's kind of like Sherlock Holmes. I don't know if you read the Sherlock Holmes mysteries, as, you know, growing up. But like the first one, uh, you know, a study in Scarlet or something like that. Uh, that's Sherlock Holmes, like ten years into being Sherlock Holmes, and as each one progresses, they all take place in different eras of his progression as a detective. And it gives you like an interesting backstory that you can of 30 years of backstory that you can always reference. I kind of like that style. Cause as you go into later stories in Hellboy, you'll meet characters and then you can flash back to things that Hellboy has seen that, that makes sense now, but we're all, it's still a new story. We're learning for the first time. It's referencing backstories we haven't seen. So you can learn a couple stories at once. You're getting the modern story, but you're also getting like an interesting flashback to a quote unquote old Hellboy story that has never actually been printed anywhere before. So it's, it's really, it really gives a lot of depth to uh, the character by having this, this, you know, technique of coming in 30 years into his, you know, interest adventures essentially yeah and i mean i think that's something that's really lost about a lot of modern comics and this is really to uh burn and mignola's strengths like they're storytellers above all else and they know how to just do their craft very well so it bugs me that hellboy is often it, it, you know just the comics specifically do not get the praise that i feel they deserve to get yeah uh we then uh, yeah, like i said before, he, hellboy mentions that he keeps the 40 years worth of tallyman in his coat but none of them protected them against this guy when he struck him down so uh, he realizes either you know either something is you know there's some kind of spell there that's canceling out his tallyman or uh, this guy is so freaking powerful that none of the none of them work on him at all which is, freaks him out even more he's like oh shit this is like this is some serious shit and this is a guy again we know he's been seeing some shit for 30 
years. So for him to think, oh no, this is serious shit. Well, this is serious shit. So it really helps us convey the sort of power level of this character, this unnamed character, um, just by Hellboy's reaction. Some pretty serious shit. Yeah. So it's a really good storytelling tactic. Just in, in one panel of him mentioning the tallyman, you learn so much about, you know, the situation. You learn about Hellboy's past. You learn about, you know, that he's been on all these adventures. He, he's collected all these tallymen. You know there's a mystical aspect of things. And you also, at the same time, realize how powerful his opponent is here. So it's a it's very effective use of uh, of that uh, the mentioning of the tallyman there. Uh, and then we go into an origin story of Satanic Wizard Man. Satanic Wizard Man. Dun, dun, Satanic dun. Wizard Man. Satanic Wizard Man. He works as hard as he can. All right. Wow. Know. You were going, needs, you were going farther off that one. I mean, I applaud your effort. but uh... I'm going to add a line every time. I mean, you got to work hard to be a Satanic Wizard Man. You know, this is not an easy job. Give credit where credit's due. Yeah. Uh, so we get into the origin of uh, this fellow. We learn uh, he mentions that he, that he was killed in Russia. They basically like chained him up and threw him into the sea. Uh, but he didn't die because uh, he heard the the serpent spoke to him and sort of brought him back to life. Um, that, so we, we get that sort of um, that just hint of his origin anyway. Uh, but hell, and he, he basically again says like, Hellboy, I want you to just join me here. Just be by my side. You have this power. I'm more powerful than you. We can rule this thing together. And Hellboy is not interested interested in uh, you know being involved in this. So he's attacked by another frog creature who appears and satanic guy confirms which we already knew that this frog creature was uh, Sven Olafsson was whatever used to be Sven Olafsson uh, was transformed into this uh, frog creature. Meanwhile, Abe is still investigating uh, what's going on underground. Uh, he finds the two Cavendish boys as frogs. He recognizes them because uh, he, he He's a he's a fellow amphibian, so he says that he senses like a kinship with these with these you know amphibious frog creatures. Who, <laughs> it sounds and, uh, so so much their... stranger when you say it out loud. Like that. Yeah, and uh, yeah, they're holding their dead mom, so um, Emma. So I guess uh, when Satanic Wizard Man uh, promised to reunite her, he really just mean you're gonna die, and then your your two frog sons are gonna cradle you. Is <laughs> that that was his idea of reuniting her with her sons? Uh, you never want to make a deal with satanic wizard men. That is basically a lesson of all this. If they have, if they've got a big cloak and a long beard and a hexagon and hence a hexagram, you probably just shouldn't make that deal. I'm just going to go ahead and say that, you know, look for, look for a better deal somewhere else because it's probably not going to work out. Uh, let's see. They see him and they kind of just go underwater. They, they, they don't attack him. So, uh, Abe mentions his kinship, but I like how you get like little pieces of the characters in, in all these interaction. Like you, they, they turn to him and they look at him and they, you know, he, he knows they see him, but they also, they recognize each other in some way as fellow amphibians. And they're like, all right, man, we're cool. You know, fro- frogs don't kill frogs, that kind of thing. Amphibians don't kill amphibians. So they just kind of go off and they just, they're just going to be sad about their mom at this point. Um, and then Abe comes on to, now this is someone that was mentioned when Emma was telling the whole story earlier about the family, but the basically the uh, the grand patriarch who is now dead of the Cavendish family is this guy, Elihu Cavendish. Uh, he's the father of the boys and, and was, uh, you know, um, Emma's husband. Uh, but apparently he is there and alive in some kind of weird form. So... We don't know what's going on there, but but that's that's uh, clearly who he is. And uh, Hellboy gets his ass kicked by this frog, and Satan guy is is now going in, into more of his origin story. Uh, he said he spent uh, <clears throat> twenty years. Basically, he was uh, he was like he, he was resurrected when they tried to kill him, and he escaped uh, to this I don't know like this mountain hideaway, uh, which is I, I think that's the, in the Arctic, the same place that he was later found uh, by Brutenholm. Oh no, no, we're not there yet. I skipped I skipped part of his origin. First, he spent twenty years in isolation, just kind of like meditating and and praying to the serpent god, and just uh, becoming this you know. Master- Masterful, powerful, whatever have you, basically by himself. Yep, he he 
<laughs> Hail Xenu. I, I saw a whole Hail Scientology Zeno, exactly. thing the other night. So snake, Pretty aliens, much. all yeah. that stuff. Yeah, forget about it. He's kind of a Scientologist, but he doesn't really have many followers. <laughs> he said sometimes he takes on people and like trains them, but then he ends up like killing them or whatever. Tom Cruise <laughs> is so hard to handle. <laughs> uh, but uh, eventually he is taken in by a gentleman uh, by the last name Himmler who brings him over to Germany and uh, even though he doesn't like these Nazis too much he decides he's going to work with them because they're the enemies of Russia and Russia are the ones that killed him uh, so he decides to team up with them and he basically uh, they show him teaming up with all these like various different uh, you know Nazi type uh, creatures um, there's like a big gorilla is one of them he's my favorite one a uh, big Nazi gorilla he can't beat that uh, but uh, basically, he's leading this team of Nazis, and he can he basically convinces them that or tricks them into thinking that they came up with this Ragnarok engine, this device that we see at the beginning of the first issue, uh, where he's performing the ceremony, <clears throat> this ritual, this uh, whatever you want to call it, that ends up creating this power uh, using this device that these Nazis made, the Ragnarok engine, and we now know that that is what uh, brought Hellboy to Earth. And I guess at the time when they were doing this thing up in uh, up at Stonehenge, the Nazis all thought the thing failed. They're like, oh, this this didn't work. Like. Nothing happened at all. There's just a lightning struck and nothing went on. But uh, Satanic Wizard Man, he did know it worked, and he knew that Hellboy was brought to Earth at that point. And that's all he cared about. He didn't even give two craps about helping the Nazis, really. He was just using them to help him create this device to summon Hellboy to the Earth for whatever reason. So he could harness Hellboy's power, as we'll find later, to bring this serpent god back to the Earth, basically. Um, so these voices after the war, he was hearing these voices again from these serpent gods that are telling him to go to the Arctic. This is what we learned at the top of the world is the Arctic, not uh, not in the Himalayas. Let's not get back into that. Not, yeah, let's not go to that. Not, let's not talk about the... the the earth ever again <laughs> the, the earth the size of it the shape of it let's just leave it alone um so yeah he goes up back up to the arctic uh he, he he brings up this these like uh these colleagues these people that are on this mission with him but he's like uh yeah they were enough to sustain me till i got to the top so basically he's killing and i don't know if he's eating them he's at least absorbing the power of these these fellow let's people say on the way he up. is let's say he is now it's basically like the movie alive only as a satanic wizard man as they do uh but yeah they sustain him until he gets topped to this temple, this te- temple Ogden Jihad, which he says was a temple made by the first race of man, you know, in, in very, very ancient times. I really like the inclusion of like, you know, I'm really big into uh, like Graham Hancock and all, all the research into sort of ancient civilizations that were possibly, you know, way more advanced than we may know. Uh, all the various, uh, you know, pyramids around the globe, all the different sort of archaeological. Is he the ancient aliens found. guy? No, Graham Hancock is a serious version of what they do on ancient aliens because he doesn't blame it on aliens. He actually, at the beginning of one of his books, he has a whole speech about how he's like, sometimes ancient aliens uses clips from me, but I'm not. I and then makes it seem like I'm saying aliens. He's like, I want to make it clear, I'm not saying aliens. I do, but he does believe that there were that there were advanced races of man prior to civilization as we know it. That there were highly more intelligent. Uh, Humans, essentially, is what he believes. Not that there were aliens that came. Okay, I can buy it. He has announced the alien uh, aspect of it, but they do sometimes use him in, in out of context. So what you're telling so me is aliens. So what I'm saying is aliens, essentially. <laughs> um, yeah, so I, I always like when comic books reference this. And I, I really like that even just in these first couple issues, we've only learned a little bit about each character, but you're you're getting the feeling of lore, the feeling of wonder, the feeling of there's a rich history to everything here, even though we're only getting little glimpses of it. So I think they they do a really good job of, of sort of building the mystery and the mystique of this this larger universe, even as we're just getting into these characters. 
Um, and then we learn uh, we learn a little bit about this beast. He's this serpent god. He's trying to uh, resurrect this god uh, Saduhem. I guess is like this serpent, ancient serpent creature that like maybe the first this first race of man were communicating with, or or had maybe had sent away. Um, we we don't really know cough, how that cough, all, all played out, but. Yeah, um, but the, yeah, actually, well, we'll see. We'll see later. There is something to, to this uh, beyond uh, beyond uh, beyond just the paranormal. But uh, we'll see. We'll see at the end of episode four. There's a little bit of an epilogue that that's pretty interesting. Um, but yeah, there's these seven beasts are in a trance for the last. He was in a trance for the last twenty years, uh, surrounded by these like I, I guess there's these these like stone things that might can, that contain these seven different beasts uh, that are going to be released to release this bigger God of Sadu essentially into the world. And uh, he has been basically spent seven, 20 years in this trance and turned like into stone until Trevor Bruton home, Hellboy's Papa came, showed up, touched him in the Arctic. And that is what awoken him. And as soon as he awoke from this trance, he was in, in this, that now he's cast in stone. He becomes, you know, satanic wizard man. Again, he immediately recognizes Trevor Bruton home. They've never met before, but he senses in him, he immediately knows that he is Hellboy's father, not not birth father, obviously, but he is the the man who has raised Hellboy daddy. because he's he he's so connected to the power of Hellboy uh, because he's the one that brought him to this this plane of existence that he immediately knows, oh, this is the guy. So he knows he's going to use this guy, this connection to this guy, to lure out Hellboy. That's basically his his entire plan is to lure out Hellboy because the whole point is he brought Hellboy to Earth for this specific purpose for bringing this greater serpent god Sidehem to Earth by utilizing Hellboy's power. So this is all part of this. You know, sixty-year plan this guy's had going on. So he's he's getting excited now. He's found Hellboy's Papa, and he sees uh, sees a path to completing his plan here. Basically, now that he's been awoken, uh, yeah. So he, he lured. Uh, so now then we learn that he, he's telling of the plan. He's like, yeah, I, I used Broom to uh, help lure Hellboy here, and but now he's got a bonus. He's super excited to find out. We is revealed that he has Liz Sherman. Of course, he was she was must was uh, captured off off screen by probably Sven Olafsson. Angry fire Sven chick Olafsson. is doing angry fire chick stuff. <laughs> getting caught yep, exactly. and such. Uh, so yeah, so we, we really see that she's really powerful and uh, Satan wizard man is really excited to have her because he realizes, you know, I don't even need Hellboy now. This chick is so powerful. And he, he actually says that like these, all these scientists that have been poking and prodding at her for all these years, they thought they figured her out. They don't know anything. They don't even realize what her power is. And he says this power that lives in Liz Sherman is actually another creature. It's actually like a living, powerful creature that basically just resides in her body and manifests itself. And she can sort of control the power in some ways, but this is a separate creature that is part of Liz essentially. Um, and so uh, basically he's harnessing, he says he's going to harness the power of this creature that lives in Liz and summon uh, Sa- this god, Saduhem. And uh, right as he's going on this this uh, speech, we cut back to a shot of Abe Sapien, who looks like he's been laid out. He's like he's on the ground he- there, and this old uh, Elihu Cavendish uh, guy is standing over him. So we still don't really know what's going on there, but it looks like Abe has been compromised, so to speak, as we end this issue. So just one more issue left uh, as we go into this uh, first arc of Hellboy. But how are you liking the story thus far before we get to the rip-roaring conclusion? Often I get mad at films and stories that try and begin a new chapter of a whole universe, but they spend so much time dropping Easter eggs and little connections that it often waters down the plot of the actual story you're reading. Um, I could say this does that perfectly because if let's say they never, I call it the new hope situation where when when lucas filmed star wars episode four new hope he filmed it not actually intending to ever get a chance to finish off the series so if you watch the end of new hope it's a good standalone movie now that we live in a world where he made the sequels and the prequels and everything else in between it's a part of a 
great franchise. This is one of those stories that if, let's say, for some weird reason, they had canceled it after issue four, which we're about to get to, it would have been good on its own right. But the fact that this is what's building so many other things, I mean, just, it's they, they do an amazing job. All I got to say. Yeah. yeah, they really do a good job of, at the same time, interesting you in the characters, building a wider universe, but it's completely just like the the movies are. Like the movie is a, the first movie is basically, I guess, a self contained version of you know elements of this origin story, uh, and it, it works completely as its own story. But you've also created this broad universe that you can do so much with. So it, it was really a perfect way to start things off. Uh, so we will get now to the final issue of uh, this is Hellboy number four, the final issue of the first story arc, Seed of Destruction. Uh, we start off here. Uh, we start off Satan guy, Satanic wizard guy is channeling the power of Liz Sherman. Um, Hellboy hears the wizard's words that are sort of, he's, he's mingled with some of his first, first memories on earth. He's kind of like flashing back to coming in and, and like hearing the wizard's words that, that kind of, that brought him here in the first place. So he's, he's kind of like recanting his own origin, his own arrival on earth and, and hearing those words that brought him here. Um, Hellboy is also being held in the grasp still of this, this scary, uh, Sven Olafsson, Sven Frogson, I called him here. And, uh, and he finds, uh, in his, in his jacket, he finds an old concussion grenade from about six years ago. And he's like, I don't even know if this thing still works and just shoves it down, uh, the frog's throat and boom. boom <laughs> and uh, I like that little, line. Hellboy, it's, it's not comedic, but he, like Hellboy has enough little lines, almost like a, well, I don't want to compare him to Deadpool because Deadpool's Deadpool's very that, different. That, that, that's a good comparison though, because like he was never in, he was never intended to be a comedic type character. It's something that happened right. over a long amount of time in storytelling. Yeah. Same goes for Hellboy. I read some of the, I think it was a Hellboy 1956. I'm probably getting the year wrong, but it took place before the Hellboy in Hell story after Hellboy dies. A whole bunch of stuff that is neither here nor there, but it takes place in like... Spoiler alert! Yeah, it takes place in the 50s. And uh, it's kind of strange because it's like, okay, you you see old, you know, Hellboy way back then. He's like Hellboy in present time, but then you go back to how he was in this story in the next couple of volumes, and it's like he has a real weird character dip. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So yeah, the satanic wizard man uh, is continuing his spell, and uh, we see that these seven cocoons. This is where this is where something else kind of comes in here. We we don't really know exactly what's what's going on here, but we see that these seven cocoons, cocoons which hold these like seven beasts that he wants to release, uh, are being monitored by these like weird robot creature things, and they kind of look again. And maybe this is more. At first, I thought, oh, they kind of look like Abe Sapien, but now I'm thinking this is just Mick, Mike Mignola's obsession with uh, goggles and circle type things. Big circles. <laughs> In their heads. But when they do a close up of their face, the, the face looks very similar uh, to Abe Sapien. So, uh, and he says, "Oh, uh, there's a there's a power emanating from the core world, uh, Captain." Because he asks, "What's the source of this?" And they says, "It's from Ab Judah Earth." So, even in this, this is just like a hint of of things we've we've seen different hints of so many you know different layers of mythology in this universe that Mike Magnola is creating this Hellboy universe. And so now we've just got another layer of it. So now not only is there this you know this serpent god, the satanic power, there's references to last races of man from ancient times but now there's these like clearly not humans uh some kind of like robotic creatures in this huge like chamber with all these screens and monitors that are that are monitoring these beasts and these powers of the world and they're referencing earth as just like oh just one place you know this is one of these places that we monitor that we have our own name for so you know this just adds another layer to me of of mystery and intrigue like whoa what who are these guys what's going on here what does this mean in the in the broader context of this universe so uh i just found that really interesting and it's just i I like that they're continually while they're telling a story and fleshing out a story they're also adding uh more and more layers to it and more, more and more sort of like elements of mystery and elements of intrigue 
Yeah, I mean, they don't spend a second too long on any of them. So they don't feel like they're not there without purpose. Yeah. And uh, what they say here, they say there's only one thing that can uh, stop them, that can stop these you know creatures from coming back and, uh, you know, taking over. And he said, that's the power that imprisoned them in the first place. Uh, but where is it? And then we cut to Hellboy. So now it's implied that Hellboy himself or the power within Hellboy, whatever that may be, is is basically the same power source that originally imprisoned these beasts, which is why um, the satanic wizard guy is using wants to use Hellboy uh, originally wants to use Hellboy before he finds Liz Sherman to to release the beasts again, because that's the same power that imprisoned those beasts. Uh, and those seven beasts is what bring the bigger, you know, uh, what was that name of that damn serpent god again? Saduham. 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 Back to this plane. Yes. Yeah, Big serpent lizard god. So uh, the wizard at this point is, is ranting and raving once again. He's offering, you know, one more time, like, Hellboy, you should come join me. When suddenly he gets a spear through his chest from out of nowhere. My God, what happened? We have no idea. But uh, we cut over and we see Abe Sapien at first. Uh, and But he says, wait, and Hellboy notices Abe. And then he looks behind him and sees this Elihu Cavendish. And he says, behind him, the shadows speak. And this Elihu Cavendish says, wake up, girl. And then suddenly Liz is, is not in the trance of Satanic wizard guy anymore and uh shit is going crazy as liz's power just goes nuts on this uh this big dragon creature thing that was in there um which is basically i don't know if that was said to himself or that was just another creature it's, it's kind of confusing um if that was just like yeah if that was yeah it's confusing but there was a big dragon creature in there i don't <laughs> and, think and, it was and, i don't think it was so i no, think i don't think good. so it was i think that was just another creature that that uh that was satanic wizard man had there because he, he has As satanic that, wizard people do yeah, that was like that was like the big octopus creature that Hellboy was battling, you know, the first, when he first got to that that spot. So, uh, yeah, but so um, the wizard says to Hellboy, you know, uh, you know, because Hellboy is about to kill him, though he's knocked him out, and you know, he doesn't, he's no longer able to harness the power of Liz, who's totally, you know, destroyed this other monster, and the whole place is crumbling around them. And and then uh, Hellboy says, uh, or the wizard says, Satanic Wizard Man says to Hellboy, he says, "If you kill me, you'll never know who you are." And Hellboy just says, nah, "I can live with that," and he just crushes him and nails him with a stone fist, shattering him into a skeleton and crushes his skull, which I really enjoyed because you know, a lot of times you see scenes like that in movies uh, or TV or comics or what have you, and then the character is like, really, is like, "Oh shit." I do it to figure out who I am. Sequel I gotta learn bait. my origin. Yeah, we, we, we gotta find. We gotta find all this stuff out. Okay. Uh, and Hellboy's just like, nah, I don't give a shit. I'd rather just kill this guy. Eh, whatever. I can go with that. I've, I've known. I've not, I haven't known why. I, why I am this thing for 35 years. So why, why do I gotta start now? I'd rather just crush this guy with my with my big stone iron fist. So so that was fun. Uh, as the uh, as the the gang is all leaving here, uh, Abe asks um, Hellboy, uh, "Did he say anything to you?" And uh, Hellboy's just flashing back to this voice again, saying, "You'll never understand the power." It, Oops, I sent my microphone. Uh, Hellboy is kind of flashing back to this voice, uh, this voice of the satanic wizard man, just screaming at him, you'll never understand the power inside you. Uh, And that seems to be sort of sitting with Hellboy there. Um, And then afterwards, well, we also see... um, as the the house is collapsing, I should say, right? Hellboy crushes um, the satanic wizard man's skull, and the house collapses, and we see this Elihu Cavendish uh, figure just in the house, and the whole house is collapsing around him. So it's not clear if that Elihu Cavendish was like a ghost or a zombie or something, but he was on the good side. Ultimately, he, he seemed to be like, he took control of gay of Abe Sapien temporarily. Um, I guess, cause to actually throw that spear through the guy and to wake up Liz. So he was sort of, uh, yeah, he was doing spooky ghosty things, but he was, you know, working on, 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 you know, on the side of Hellboy here, but it, it's not that we had no real origin story for why, you know, why this, version of him existed but i don't think we're sort of i don't some... think we're supposed to think too much into it nah we're not we're not that's what i do though you know i overthink things it's exactly what i do where's the top exactly of the earth drive you where's the top this of the is earth why, 
This is what happens for me. This is why it's such a it's such a top of the earth. Top of the earth. This is why me and Jonathan Hickman and Tom King don't mix well all the time. Because I while I like a lot of their ideas and concepts and a lot of their writing, they do so much shit that if you overthink things will drive you crazy trying to chase the logic of. And I am that kind of person that goes like, well, why does this make sense? Why does this make sense? Even though I know the whole time what the answer is, Remzo, what's the answer? The North Pole. Oh, because comics. Because comics. <laughs> <laughs> but yes, also the North Pole in this, in this very specific case. Um, yeah, because comics. Because, because comics. Ultimately, you can chase your damn tail on logic and comic books all you want, but you're going to eventually just get to a point where you just have to shake your head and go, because this is comics. So you got to just let go. So I'm going to let go of the North Pole for now as the top of the world. <laughs> uh, just like Hellboy let go of, of knowing about his origins. Um, but anyway, yes. And, um, she, he says, he also is flashing back to these words of, you know, you'll never understand as he's dying. He's saying, you'll never understand the power inside you. I will see you crawl before me. And he says, this is not the end, even as his body is disintegrating to, to nothingness here. And then, uh, right there, we cut to, uh, this sort of castle and we're kind of cutting in uh, panel by panel to getting closer, um, to inside this frozen layer somewhere. It's not clear where this is. I'm not sure if it's the Arctic, the top of the world, <laughs> the Himalayas, somewhere else, maybe it's in Germany because we see a Nazi symbol with this sort of serpent symbol that we saw earlier. Cleveland in the beeping. winter. We see this beeping and then we hear beep and we see this ice crack. We don't hear it, but we, then we see the sound effect. beep. You hear it. You hear it in your mind. If you're fully immersed, in you the hear it in your heart. You hear it in your heart and your soul. And we see this cracking and we see these three Nazi scientists that were there at the original ceremony. Uh, one is the guy with like the gas mask, the gas mask Nazi. Um, yeah. And then two of the other Nazis. So they're, they're basically unfreezing. This is like, a, uh, what is it? What, what, what's the place that Superman's uh, villains are all sent to? The, the, the Phantom the, Zone? You know what I'm talking The Phantom Zone. Yeah. This is like uh, them being released from the Phantom Zone as a teaser for a future Hellboy story, of course. So uh, it's not all done here with the Nazis. You're never done with Nazis, really, when it comes to Hellboy. Hellboy hates Nazis. Get sick of Nazis. Uh, but yeah, that is the end of the first volume of Hellboy. And I, this is one of those books that I think I I remember enjoying it. Like, I, I owned these originals uh, that I bought in 94 when they came out. And uh, I hadn't really... Re- I, I'd read a bunch of different Hellboy stories over the years, but it had been a few years since I had read any Hellboy. So, uh, but uh, I, I enjoyed it about as much as I remember. You know, th- I would say that this is like... This is very good. Like, this is really enjoyable. Great work. I I, kind of look at this as like, you know... Hellboy is never like one of the first comics I recommend to people. It's never something that leaps out to me as like one of the greatest books I've ever read, one of the greatest stories I ever read. I never even really feel that compelled to go, oh, I really want to go read Hellboy now. But every time I do read Hellboy, I'm always pleasantly satisfied. So um, it's 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 an interesting character, and an interesting book to me because I really do enjoy, especially upon rereading here, how Mike McNola is not just along with John Byrne is not just telling the story and fleshing out the characters. Like you mentioned earlier, they do a really good job of sprinkling in these character origin stories without having to take um, Tom King two freaking issues in the middle of a story to tell its character origin kite man uh, no they sprinkle in the origin stories with like a couple panels and it's all you need you don't need two issues of kite man's origin story Tom King you don't need that sometimes you can just sprinkle things in it helps advance the story you learn about these characters and you can get deeper origin stories as you go along because he's clearly building uh, this foundation of this this larger universe this larger universe that we see so many little pieces and hints of there being so much more 
forward to. Uh, whether it's Hellboy referencing years of adventures and collecting all these talismans to uh, these weird robot, you know, alien, Abe Sapien type looking creatures that are monitoring, I don't know, the multiverse and monitoring these uh, these ancient beasts. I mean, there's just so many layers that we learn about to the universe. And I think in many ways, I appreciate that the universe building even more so than I do the actual story itself. Like I, the story's good. I like the story. It doesn't blow me away. It's just a fun, it's just a fun read. Uh, but the fact that he's really also building this universe at the same time, um, I, I really appreciate. So I'll hold off my final st- score, but I'll get your overall thoughts first. Uh, I, well, I've always admired about uh, Mignola's Hellboy is the fact that he dared to be different in an industry that, while often celebrates those who try and innovate, often really only rewards complacency in certain degree. And you see this a lot within the superhero genre. I think horror comics, uh, you know, they, they've always had a place within the comic book industry. But what he did was he was able to merge the sci-fi, the superhero, and the, you know, I, I would call it almost a detective type story to it. And I wouldn't necessarily say like pulp noir to a degree, but like a, there's a Sherlock but, Holmes. But it's, uh, there's hints uh, of it. Yeah. There's yeah a Sherlock it's Holmes it's Lovecraftian. I mean, I mean, he, there's a reason why they're still Hellboy. There's a reason why they've made three films. It's because the people that love him will do a lot for him. And I would not call myself like a diehard Hellboy acolyte, but you know, I I am a Hellboy apologist to the most degree. I know there've been times where there's not a Hellboy comic on the shelf and you know, sometimes there doesn't need to be Sometimes you just need to let good stories end. Uh, a lot and of there's enough yeah. there's enough old Hellboy stories out there to go back and find too between Hellboy's arcs themselves and a lot of the spinoffs. Yeah, uh, I, I've always been more of a fan of like the spinoffs and like the limited series where you don't know where they take place in continuity, but they're just very right, right. very singular and self contained. Yeah. Yeah. I, I like stuff like that because you can you can pick them up and read them as an individual story. But if you're becoming a fan of this broader universe he's creating, uh, then you it, it adds depth and richness to everything else that's going on. It's as rewarding. Well. So, uh, yeah, it's rewarding. It's a, it's it's a rewarding book to read because they will pay a lot of things off. Like even here, you're just getting sprinkles of things, and that you will find more about as you proceed and read more Hell, Hellboy stories. So I chose this book because I, I again I really enjoyed a lot of what I've seen from Hellboy. I kind of describe myself as you though. Like I'm not like some diehard Hellboy fan. I don't. Hellboy is not even in any of the first books that I, I tell people about or think about when talking about my favorite comics, but it's a book that I always take pleasure out of. I always enjoy reading. Uh, I've never read like a bad Hellboy comic. I will never I not think, say you know. anything po- negative about Hellboy. Yeah. yeah. So, so it's not, I know it's not an all time great, but it's really enjoyable. So as far as scores go, I, I think I'm going to give it, uh, I'm going to give it a four for the writing. Cause I think the writing is, is very, very good. Um, it's again, it's not blow away. Uh, I, I think, John Byrne being in there for the dialogue really helps. Uh, but Mike Mignola will shed John Byrne after this and then head out fully on his own. Uh, so you'll see, you know, if you follow Hellboy, you'll kind of see how that develops over time and how develop, you know, Hellboy's actual personality develops over time. Um, so I, I think the story itself, it's, it's, it's very simple. It's very basic. It's weird because the story itself is very simple and straightforward. But meanwhile, there's all these little different tidbits that they put out there that are kind of expanding and growing the universe. And, you know, I, I might even give the, only the writing a 3.5 normally, but I, I tick it up and not just for the creation of the overall universe and the mythology that he's, he's building at the same time. And then I also give a four to the art. I, I, I mean, it's, it's not the best art I've ever seen, but I, it has a very unique style to it. I can always, I can always see Mike Mignola art, you know, kind of across the room. He's just one of those artists that you really recognize. And it's, it's, it's very unique. It has the exact right feel for 
a book like this. Uh, it's it's kind of feels like horror, kind of has this old school detectively feel, and the art really does convey that. So, um, you know what? This art would not work everywhere. This would art would not always work in a standard superhero story in the same style. But for Hellboy, it's like a perfect match for for the story that he's telling, which makes sense because it's his creation and his story. So, um, yeah, overall, I'm going to give uh, this story uh, a four and a four. Uh, so for a grand total of eight out of ten. Um, like I said, I, I, I don't know. I, I can't go much higher than this because I, I never, I never can say about any help. Hellboy is this weird thing where I can never say this is the best story I've ever read, but I can also never say anything bad about it. So I think eight is a, is a very good score. It's a very high score, uh, overall. Uh, but I, it's hard to go much higher than that. Cause much higher, if we're going above an eight, I'm talking, I'm getting into the area of like all time. You must read this kind of stories. And I can't necessarily say that about help. I, I will, I will agree for the context on almost everything you said, but I, I have to bring it down a score. So for the art, I'm going to give it a 3.5 and for the story, I'm also going to give it a 3.5 and it's not because it's not good. It's just that it's like many things. It's like club jazz. It's like craft beer. If you like it, you are always going to be predispositioned to like it, but it's not something that a lot of people will go out of their way. to one want to get and two want to recommit to it's very, very its own thing, which is why he has such a dedicated base of people, because I wouldn't say a lot of comic book readers are helping. Hellboy fans, but Hellboy has some of the most like, you know, uh, boisterous fans. Like he has the most one of the most hardcore bases ever for people, uh, much like a savage dragon to a large degree. So I have to respect it enough to say it's good. It's not always me. But it doesn't have to be me. You could love it, but that's the great thing about it because through comics, it's this medium that allows people to express and dive in and try different things. I think uh, Magnola is one of those people that you should definitely study if you're really into the genre of comic books. But you know, I think a, a 7 out of 10 is very respectable. It is. It's nothing to shake a stick at. Yeah. Nothing to shake a stick at at all. Like I said, I, my my score, at least as far as the writing, would probably be closer to you as just as the story itself. But there's just I always appreciate like broader mythology and universe building. Well, I don't always appreciate it. <laughs> I don't always appreciate it when when, uh, when it's when done Jonathan badly. It. Yeah. When when it's you know, have to read 25 the timelines and charts because Jonathan Hickman likes likes to draw them. Uh, I don't always appreciate it when it's when it's too much information and all the information doesn't add to the story. Then I get annoyed by it. But when it actually is building an, an intrigue and it's actually tying into everything and making sense and not overwhelming us with it, then I really appreciate it. And I think Mike McDola does a really good job just in these first few issues of giving this really broader feeling of this deeper mythology and deeper universe. That's why I, I take it up a notch on that level. And yeah, I probably am a little more partial to the art just because I, again, because of the uniqueness of the art and the uniqueness of the art for the feel of the story. So that's why it basically gets, I basically gave it your score with a bonus half a point for, for those reasons on each one. And that's totally cool. And that's totally cool. That's it's a, it's here. a 15 out of 20. I'd say go buy it. I'd say go buy it. This volume at least. Yeah, oh, it's definitely worth worth reading. And uh, if you don't want to buy it, I can report. I'm happy to report that uh, this is available on Hoopla. There you go. I can't, I can't recommend the digital, the Hoopla digital app, highly enough. 
Because, uh, yeah, we always recommend supporting your local comic shops. Always recommend purchasing comics, helping the creators. Uh, but actually, they the creators get money from the Hoopla thing somehow. I don't know how. But however libraries work, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know who gets money from it. But it's it's illegal. It's legal and it's free and it's through your library. All you need is a library card. This is not like, you know, you know some kind take of... Advantage of yeah, take advantage of it. Take advantage of it. It's perfectly ethical, perfectly moral. So, uh, yeah, it's a great, great resource. I really highly recommend Hoopla Digital. That's really helpful for us. Even when I own some of these comics, it's just easier to read in trade paperback format. So I'll just hop on there, look it up, and say, oh, there it is. Great. Easy. Easy peasy. So uh, that is it for this week's episode of the Second Print Comics Podcast. I want to remind you, I've been talking a lot this episode. Why don't you remind them most of things, Remzo? Folks, you can follow us everywhere at Second Print Pod on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. And, you know, if you want more, because Mark and I are always giving you more, go ahead and hit us up on Patreon at any level, starting at $5. We have bonus episodes, uh, exclusive rants. We give away comics and so much more. So go ahead and support the show. Get more for your listening time and more bang for your buck by supporting the Second Print Comics podcast on Patreon. As always, I'm Remzo W. Martinez. And I'm the merciless Mark Clare. Read comics, change the world. Change the world. Satanic wizard man. Swimsuit, check. Sunscreen, check. Phone charger, check. Don't forget to pack the 5-Hour Energy. It fits great in a pocket or carry-on, and the alert feeling will help you arrive ready for anything. Now get 20% off when you use code 5HETRAVEL at 5HourEnergy.com. Expires April 30th. One-time use only. Not valid with other discounts. Remember, visit 5HourEnergy.com and use code 5HETRAVEL to save 20%. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.